0: Get anybody anything else? So thank, enjoy. Well, the food's here. Really, the pastor isn't just jumping in and praying. Maybe he's waiting for me because he knows how well I could do it. Well, I think he's just a little afraid. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of rescuing him. He's a pastor. It's his job to pray in places like this. Man, am I glad the pastor's here. I'm sure he will pray for the food. Well, I guess he'll pray for the food. Why is he being so hesitant? I know people in here and they know I go to church, but what will they think of him if he doesn't? What will they think of me if he doesn't? Come on, what a great witness it would be to all the people watching. Oh, no. We're not going to pray, are we? Of course, we're going to have to pray. The pastor is here. He probably thinks it'll be a good way to witness to others. I think it'll turn them off, because they'll think we're just hypocrites showing off in public. Besides, I know people in here, and this is embarrassing. Come on, do something. The food's getting cold. They are going to expect me to pray, since I am a minister. Can't anyone else pray? Is it my job? Why is it always me? Or are they waiting to see if I will pray? Are they testing me? Maybe praying will make them feel uncomfortable, so I should just eat. No, someone will judge me. This always makes me feel so awkward. Come on, it's just food. Am I really doing this because I'm supposed to, or is it to save face or to please others? If so, why even do it? Why do we even say grace? Why do we even say grace? Have you ever had those attitudes? I mean, all of those attitudes are represented in this room today and maybe even more when it comes to praying about a meal, especially in public. Well, I'm David Roderick, Minister of Missions and, um, here at Troy, and it is my thoughts that you heard up there that are so real when I sit down with people to eat, especially people I don't know really well, is that, all right, should I pray? Should I not pray? Am I going to make them feel uncomfortable? What? It just goes on and on. And as I was talking with different people, even as we were setting up this video shoot, there was a guy in there, he goes, well... You know, in my house, or my family, my brother always has to pray because, well, he's a Lutheran minister, and he just thinks he's the one that can talk to God. I never get asked to pray. I want to say, if he asked you, would you? But I didn't say that to him because he didn't want to judge. But um, in most of our families, we have somebody who takes that lead. If we're like on Thanksgiving or somewhere, somebody's expected to pray, a brother or sister, a mom or dad. At my house, a lot of times, especially when there's a large gathering, they look to me because I'm the minister, right? So I'm pretty good about this. And it's not because I don't want to pray, but I have a brother very active in his church. And I think that sometimes he feels like nobody looks to him for that kind of leadership. So I usually ask in advance, or if they look at me, I'll say, Doug, you, you want to pray? And I can tell that that means a lot to him. So there's all these things surrounding praying for food. And most of them have very little to do with what we usually think of when we think of saying grace. And so today, that's what I want to talk about is that idea of why do we even do this? You know, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus actually chastised the religious leaders for praying publicly. You know, for those who think, well, we have to because we're Christians and we need to make sure everybody knows that we're going to pray. And He said to them, your words mean nothing because you're doing it for yourselves and to make you look good, not for others. While saying grace is a good discipline, when it becomes legalistic, it's already lost its power. When it becomes something you do so others will see you, it loses its value. I was in a group in college. I've been to other places where they do this too, but you'd sit down and somebody put their thumb up on the table. Everybody did this. Then others would put their thumb up and the last one to get their thumb up, which was usually the new person who had no idea what was going on, well, they were the loser. And so what did the loser get to do? Pray. (laughs) Right? That's how we decide who's going to pray for this meal is by losing. And so you're... (laughs) One of my most favorite uncomfortable situations is when you're at a a table in a restaurant and somebody else at the table is praying, and out of the corner of your eye... Of course, that wouldn't happen to me because I'd have my eyes closed, but, no. <laughs> you know, I'll see the server coming up, and, and the person who's praying is their backs to them, and you know she has no idea what's going on. And I always think, I'm to. it's great to see how this is going to play out. So the server comes up, and right in the middle of the prayer, is there anything else I can get you? Well, I'm going to give you a gift today. I'm going to teach you how to handle that if you're praying. All right, what you're going to do is you're going to speak just a little bit louder and say something like this, and bless our server who has adequately provided all that we currently need for our meal. (laughs) You don't even have to stop praying and then you can communicate. (laughs) Well, all that brings us back to that question of why do we say grace in the first place? I hope today that you'll come to a deeper understanding of the meaning of that. Some of you may already be there. So I don't want to take for granted or say or assume that everyone uh, doesn't. But like in the video today, there's so many different ways in which people think about grace, especially in public, and, um, but also around our table or with our kids at home and, and, and in family ministry over the years. we talked a lot about that and how do we do that and do we, what do we teach them. Well, today I want to offer four thoughts to help us as we make our own decision about when and how we say grace, and most importantly, why. So if you have your um, notes today, you can follow along if, if you'd like to. The first thing when we say grace is we are imitating Christ. Several times in the Bible, it tells us that he took a loaf of bread, and he gave thanks. It was his habit of doing that. Imagine, though, something as ordinary as bread becoming the focus of our thankfulness. But really, it's the ordinariness of the bread that brings out the extraordinary nature of what's happening. And in fact, that's the kind of God we have. He so often uses the ordinary to do extraordinary things. I'd love time to do a deep dive into bread throughout the whole Scripture and, and follow it through because it plays a central role from the Old Testament all the way through. We'll talk a little bit about that today, but it goes so much deeper. Well, the breaking of the bread, the sitting down around a table is a familiar thing. We do it multiple times a day. And for Jesus, just the sharing of that was familiar. But it became so familiar that it became powerful later when he broke the bread on the night before he was crucified. And he taught us a lesson. Well, there's a lot of familiar graces that we say. If you grew up Catholic, you probably know this one. I, I remember my aunt and uncle who were Catholic, and we'd be at their home for a meal. We'd hold hands, and their family would all say this together, and the rest of us had no idea what was coming. But they would say something along the lines of, Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from the bounty through Christ our Lord. From thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. How many of you guys know that prayer? <laughs> a lot. Yeah, and usually followed by the sign of the cross. The Lutherans have a common table prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. There's a Wesleyan uh, grace that many United Methodists share in in meetings, and it goes like this. Be present at our table, Lord. Be here and everywhere adored. These mercies bless and grant the way that we may feast in fellowship with thee. Amen. Amen. And there's a simple one that many of you learned as a child. If you don't know this one, it's okay, but I'm going to have you help me. I'll prompt you, and then I'd like for you to help me finish it. It goes like this. God is great. Yeah, many of you know that one. Simple, but to the point. And when our kids were little, we would say that a lot because it's something they could remember. But... Again, the discipline of it is important, but it's more important to understand why we say it. Well, even prayer makes its way into pop culture sometimes, and many of you will be familiar with this prayer, and in fact, a part of this prayer has become uh, a little bit of a, the lexicon of our culture today. It's from um, that great race car driver, Ricky Bobby, from Teledega Nights. He says, Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. <laughs> I would learn one of those others, but <laughs> <laughs> but the point of this is even there there's this recognition that what we have comes from beyond ourselves. Later, I'll give you a couple more other ideas about saying grace. But as we say grace, we participate in the same manner as Jesus did, as he humbly recognized the need to be thankful for what he had. The next part of saying grace goes in a little different direction, but we are recognizing, when we say grace, those who are responsible for our food. Now, we intimate the fact that it's God who provides all of our needs, but God uses us in multiple ways to help make that happen. And I started thinking about a list of those people, and it's, I, I, there's no way. I'm just going to give some examples. But we have farmers. We have field workers. We have people who transport the food from place to place. We have logistics folks that set that up. We have those who process the food, grocery store employees, uh, restaurant workers. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were at a um, wedding, Well, I'm going to tell more about that story in a minute. But I met one of my son's friends who's a chemist. And his job is to test foods, to make sure that what the label says is in those foods is really in there, to make sure that we're getting what we're promised from the people who make the food, and to make sure that there's nothing dangerous to us in those foods. Think about that. He went to school as a chemist, but what he's doing is protecting our food supply. Well, let me ask this. How many of you, I'm going to ask you for hands in just a minute. How many of you are currently working or have, or have worked in some form or fashion to help get food on our table? It could have been working in a restaurant. It could be a gardener, a truck driver. Um, maybe you work at Nestle, um, whatever. What is, how many of you have done something in your past or currently doing something that helps put food on a table? Raise your hand. Wow, we have almost as many food workers as we do former Catholics in here. And isn't isn't it amazing, though, how much goes behind that little plate of food that's set before us? And we need to remember those folks. Maybe you've heard uh, somebody, uh, when they've said a prayer before, a mealtime prayer, something uh, along the lines of, bless the hands who have prepared this food. And that's what we're doing. We're thanking God for the food, but also for the people who had a part in the process of bringing it to us. To say grace before meals, among other things, is to remember that it was God and not our credit card that provided our meal. And a pre-meal Thanksgiving recognizes the dozens of people who did hard work to get your food to you. As believers, I think we need to step up our game. I think we need to tip our servers better. I think we need to say words of encouragement to the clerk who's checking us out or to the people stocking the produce, or the truck drivers, or whoever, or if it's grandma who's made a great meal for you out of love, to give her a hug and just tell her thank you. Go above and beyond to let people know that you are appreciative of their role in feeding you. The next part, and and I guess... In a sense, I've buried the lead here because this is really the key to why we say grace. And it's that what we are doing is we are acknowledging our dependence on God. What would happen to you if you didn't eat? And what would happen to us? Well, it gives us life, literally gives us life. The ultimate outcome of not eating is death. And I know that there's probably some of you in a room this large who have faced situations like that. Many of us rarely give thought to where our, our next meal is coming from other than going to the grocery store. But there's no anxiety behind that of am I going to get to eat? We have to eat to stay alive. And everybody in this room at least the best I can tell, is alive. That means from the time you were born until this day, you have never gone through a time in your life where you did not have enough food to sustain your life. We were in Mexico. I started to say that earlier. We were in Mexico a few weeks ago to celebrate my son's wedding. And we, uh, we got in early around 11, had a little bit of lunch, and then we took a shuttle uh, about an hour and a half south of Cancun to this villa they had rented where they were going to have the wedding. And my part of my family arrived. There were several of us, and then my uh, daughter-in-law's family arrived. Well, everybody was there except my son and his fiance at the time and a few friends. They were picking up from the airport, and we're not going to be there until late, and there was no food. And now, mind you, we've, it's been seven hours since we've eaten, right? So we're going to say those words that we often say we're starving to death. <laughs> if you think about it, those words really aren't very true. But there was a panic set in. And you've got one of my sons on, the phone, on the, his phone trying to figure out where um, a taxi is. Can we get a taxi up here? Is it worth $40 to have them come and take us to a grocery store and get some food for us? Uh, another one is looking the, for the restaurants in the area. Well, it's a two-mile walk to the closest one. There's a storm coming in. It's dark. We don't know where we're at in the middle of Mexico. And so everybody's just, I mean, they were intent on trying to figure out how to get food. Well, I put my Guy Fieri hat on. And my favorite show is Guy's Groceries Games. So I look around, and there was two different kinds of rice there. There was a little bottle of soy sauce with lime in it. There, were, there was a box of mixed nuts and a package of pistachios and a handful of other little seasonings. So I started boiling the rice. I got somebody else to help chop up all the nuts. And then we found this bag of kind of granola-like stuff, flaky things with with some chocolate in it. So we poured that and the nuts and the soy sauce in a pan, and we heat it up. We pour it over the rice, and our lives were saved. Now, I want you to know, it tasted pretty good. (laughs) It will forever be known in our family as granola rice. We ate well the rest of the week. Our lives were never in danger, yet our anxiety was high because of the lack of food for just a few hours. Imagine if you didn't know where your next meal was come from. Can we even do that? Add in your, fa- your family, your kids, and all of a sudden you begin to understand the anxiety that goes along with that. The Jews in the first century uh, were under Roman rule and heavily taxed. And food was scarce for them. And so even just bread became a commodity, really. And so um, that's, that's why so many of those stories, especially in the New Testament, surround bread. But getting the bread to people. Remember, there's enough food. The earth supplies enough food for all of us. It's the distribution that becomes difficult. And there are things that happen, I mean, governments sometimes stop the flow of food to certain people groups. Natural disasters, poverty, all kinds of things can delay food to get to us. There's a story just before the scripture you heard today in John chapter 6 where there were about 5,000 plus people that had followed Jesus out into the wilderness to hear him. Kept hearing all these things and seeing the things he did, so they followed him out there. And Jesus' disciples realized, these people are out here, they have no food They didn't prepare. They just came out. So they look around. They find a little bit of food. In fact, it's kind of interesting because John says that the little boy who had food, um, because there was a boy there, had had five loaves of uh, bread and two two fishes. It was barley bread, and barley bread was like the, the bread of the poor. John felt it was significant for us to know that, that this little poor, this boy who had bread just enough to feed his own family was willing to give it up. And Jesus took that bread and he gave thanks, not because he was going to be able to eat, but on behalf of everyone. They began to pass out the food. It says everybody had their fill and they even collected more food at the end. And Jesus made sure they collected the food. Why? So they would have it again because you save what you have. Well, one of the reasons that we acknowledge our dependence on God is that we recognize not only does he give to us, but that he often uses others, as I mentioned, to be the agent to make sure other people's needs are met. And I want you to know, really all of you who attend here, but some of you specifically have recently done that. On November 10th, we had a food packing event right here in this room. And we made uh, enough food to feed 15,000 people. In fact, I have a picture of this that was happening. Do we have that picture of the food packing event here in the Family Life Center? So here it was. About 200 of you showed up and in two hours packed 2,500 bags of food. Nine days later, see this next picture, the barrels that we put that food in are being loaded and sent to Trinidad and Tobago. I don't know if you know, but they've had devastating floods there. People have been cut off from food supplies. They're living in shelters. And because of what you all did on that day, giving up an hour or two of your day to take some soy powder and chicken powder, taking some rice and some some dried vegetables and putting them in a bag, thousands of people Two weeks later, we were able to eat. That's a miracle. We call the feeding of 5,000 a miracle. You all were part of a miracle. You became an agent, a missionary of sharing love through food with people in need. Today, you're going to have an opportunity to pick up an advent calendar. And this is a part of the way in which we support a food program that's in our area that feeds kids all through the summer, but also sends food home on the weekends. And if you use these each day, either adults can do this, you can do this with your children, but each day you read a part of the Christmas story. And throughout the month, you'll read the entire Christmas story. But on the back of each flap is an item that you can donate. And you might want to look a week in advance and do your shopping, whatever. But you can bring those foods back here. We'll make sure they get to the Twigs program. And if you fill out one calendar, that is enough to feed one child for an entire month with with a weekend bag they take home on Fridays. So you can continue to be a part of feeding others this Christmas season. In his Lord's Prayer, he said, And give us this day our daily bread. Remember that line? That was so familiar to his disciples. First, because... Um, they remember their people. Many years before, thousands of years before that, they were enslaved in Egypt. And God sent this guy Moses to lead them out. And he led them out of generations of captivity, out through this wilderness on the way to their nation. And they got out there and they ran out of food. And they got upset. They said, Moses, you brought us out here just to die? But God said, you can trust me. And he started providing every day this stuff called manna. They called it the bread from heaven. And he always he said, take what you need for today, don't take extra. Because what he was teaching them is that you could depend on me, not just for today, but for every day. And so they had their daily bread. So when Jesus says, um, give us today our daily bread, he's reminding us that God will not only take care of us today, but tomorrow as well. And that also comes, that, that was, that the wording comes from the Proverbs. If you've ever read Proverbs 30, The author writes this, he says, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. It's a great thing. But he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Isn't that an interesting thing? Neither poverty nor riches. But give me only my daily bread. Why would he say that? Well, he goes on to explain. He says, otherwise, if I have too much, I might disown you. I might forget that I depend on you and I need you. And I might hoard what I have and not share it with others. Or I may become poor and still steal and dishonor you. Recognizing what God has given you and the ability that you have to meet your needs and sometimes even the needs of others is to recognize that God gives us what we need to to live each day. And I think that's worth taking at least a moment to acknowledge. This acknowledgement does not always have to come in the form of a bow your head and pray out loud. Because again, it's not about the words, it's about the attitude of the heart. It could be one of the prayers we shared earlier, it could be one of your own, or it could be as simple as taking a moment before you eat and just think, be thankful for what is before you. You could just breathe the word "thanks." You could just in your heart look at it and say, God, you're giving me another, time, another day. Tim told me a story a while back about a guy who, um, when he goes out to eat, especially like in a corporate world or something where there's you know, the, no expectation of praying, it would be awkward or out of place, will simply take something like a french fry and just break it to just remember that God has once again provided it's not how you do it it's why you do it and the why is because it is what sustains your life we forget that because we have food available to us almost all the time but if we didn't we would begin to understand even more so we don't pray because our parents told us that we should We don't pray just because Jesus did. We pray because we once again are participating in the life-giving sustenance that comes from God. I have to connect this to it. and it's the next part. We're reminded that Jesus is the bread of life. The scripture you heard today was a story of the people who had just been fed, the 5,000, and the next day they come back. And they want more. And Jesus recognizes, you didn't come because you wanted to hear more about me. You came because you wanted more food. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think he was chastising them. I mean, how many of us pass up free food, right? (laughs) Of course they're going to come and get free food. They don't have the money. They don't have the means. They're going to take it. But Jesus says, I don't want you to miss the bigger point. He says that, that... It wasn't Moses that gave the people manna from heaven. It was God. And God has given you manna from heaven now. He says, there's only one thing that he asks for. And that's that you believe in the one he has sent. See, Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. I am the manna that has come from heaven to feed you. He recognizes that in the people there and in the people here, that while we do hunger for food, we also hunger in other ways for love, for acceptance, for life, for a career, for a purpose. We have so much hunger in us. And Jesus came to meet that. And not only in this life, but the real bread, He says, you'll never become hungry again if you eat my bread. Because even though you may die physically, because of that bread, you will live eternally. It's bread. It's recognizing that God loves you, wants to sustain your life now and beyond. And remember when he took the little bit and handed it out and he got more back? That's what he wants to do in your life. He doesn't want to just give you a little bit. He wants your life to be abundant. He wants you to be overflowing with the bread that he gives you. In the same way we need food on a daily basis, we need God in our lives. It's a different kind of hunger, but a hunger nonetheless. We sang that song today. It said, we are hungry for more of you. That is being thankful and seeking out the God who loves you. Grace is so much more than the words we say. It's the recognition of the God who supplies all of our needs. It is being thankful to God who fills the hunger of our stomach as well as the hunger of our hearts. So the next time you have food be set before you, doesn't have to be a big deal. doesn't have to be a show for others. But just take a moment and recognize that your life is once again being sustained and say thanks. That is why we say grace. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful for what you give us on a daily basis. Lord, when we say the prayer you taught us, we are asking you to give us that bread that sustains our life today. Lord, let us always be thankful for it. But God, as we have more food than we need, let us make sure that we share it with others. And God, when we don't have enough food, let us be thankful for the others who share theirs with us. Let us be people who live with grateful hearts and grace-filled lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.